The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. A couple of announcements this morning. Um, you saw in video announcements, we really need volunteers and Launchpad and kids ministry. You can sign up for that starting this summer, June 2nd. Out in the lobby, there are some ladies that can tell you about that. If you would love to serve children in this community of faith. Also want to mention to pray for Paula Hoffer and her sons and grandchildren. Our brother Lee Hoffer, who is longtime part of Temple Bible Church, served as an elder for many years here as well. He went to be with the Lord this week, and so I want to pray for Paula as she grieves and hopes in Jesus. And then want to just say thank you this morning for the love and support as I've begun this process of transitioning into what my new role will be as lead teaching pastor. I've been blessed to be supported by a great body of Christ. And as you've heard, our elders and our staff communicate there are additional decisions that we need to make. And so the, the next step in that process is for us to find the person that will take over the role of global outreach pastor that I've been serving in for the last 11 years. And thankfully, we've got a remarkable talent base here at Temple Bible Church. And so we would really like to mirror the process we use with the lead teaching pastor by looking internally for the right candidate. So we want you to ask you to pray for us and to pray with us as we seek the Holy Spirit's guidance on this decision. Our desire is that as TBC has always done, we would continue to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We'd continue to work with faithful local churches all over the world as our partners as we seek to make much of Jesus together. So pray with us and pray for us as we do that. Today, open up to Proverbs as we look in the Word together. Proverbs chapter 1, we are excited to start a new series that we're going to call The Beginning of Wisdom. And, and uh, Gary and, and Dave and Tim and I got together um, and, and began looking at 16 topics in Proverbs that we're going to talk about. But today we're going to introduce this. And, and we're going to introduce it because we all need wisdom. And we need it more than we know. We need it for daily decisions we face at home and at work. We need it for the future. We need it for retirement. We need it to navigate an ever-changing culture. Some of us need it more than we know. I saw a guy the other night at the gym who I thought really needed wisdom. I'm walking out, and this guy's on the treadmill, and he's just going, 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 really going nowhere, obviously, but he's just walking, walking, walking. And he has a water bottle on the treadmill in the Pringles holder. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> God needed wisdom. The less you think you need it, the more maybe you actually do. So I was happy this week to receive uh, Time Magazine. And this week's cover of Time, it had several covers actually, but it was the top 100 influencers in the world, people from the world of, uh, of film and TV and entertainment global leaders, business icons. On the cover, though, was Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Now, I like The Rock. I told Gary this week, I said, when I get to heaven, my arms are going to look like Dwayne Johnson's. And he said, no, when you get to heaven, your arms will look like mine do now, Chase. And I, okay, we, we both laughed at that, right? See, I, I love The Rock, right? But I, I'm not looking for life advice for him. One of the other covers this week was of Taylor Swift. She had a big song that came out this week. Great musician, great young businesswoman. If I want to know what a broken life looks like, I'll listen to a Taylor Swift song, right? But I'm not going to ask Taylor Swift how to raise my kids or for dating advice, right? 
See, the scripture tells us that real and true wisdom from God is more valuable than precious metals and gems. It tells us that in Jesus, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Our phones, our computers, our televisions, we can get a lot of information. But in the wisdom literature in the Bible, it really shows what life can look like when you delight in the law of the Lord together. When you walk together in this flourishing, loving, wise community of God's people under the rule and reign and wisdom of God, our world produces 6,023 new books each day. But there's still one book, an ancient book, 3,000 years old, which offers this claim of wisdom from God. For every time and culture and season, and it's a book we will do well to pay attention to over the summer. Not just wisdom from Solomon or Agur or Lemuel or others, but truly wisdom from God. So today, we'll look at the opening of the book and we'll end our time today with the theme that runs throughout the book that you'll hear over and over this summer. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So let's read this together. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence or shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, The fear of the Lord is a beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Lord, help us not to be a foolish people who despise wisdom and instruction, but help us be people who walk in the fear of you, who know wisdom and instruction, who understand words of insight. You're the God of all creation. You're the Lord of heaven and earth. Everything belongs to you. You uphold all things. By your mighty power, you give and take away. So we humble ourselves before you and ask God, would you teach us from your word and would you give us wisdom? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you go to any nation and you will find Proverbs, these short, pithy statements that are generally true. They're generally true. They're different from promises. Sometimes we look in Proverbs and we go, oh, there's a promise from God. There's a promise from God. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart. That's a promise from God, when that's not actually a promise from God. It's a proverb. It's generally true. It happens most of the time. My grandmother had a set of proverbs, not biblical proverbs, but just proverbs that she loved to tell us as grandchildren. We called her Mama Dear. And her favorite two were waste not, want not, and cleanliness is next to godliness. But here's where, fine Proverbs, right? But here's where it was a problem. She would say, you know, the Bible says. You know, the Bible says waste not, want not. The Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness, Chase. And uh, one day I finally got up the courage and said, Mama dear, the Bible doesn't say those things. And she goes, well, somebody did. Well, yep, that's, that's actually correct. That's actually correct. So over about the next 10 minutes or so, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through verses 1 through 6, the title and the purpose, and then we're going to camp out in verse 7 for the majority of our time. 
Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. These are Proverbs, but they're not just any Proverbs. They are the Proverbs of Solomon, who with all of his failings and misgivings was known as the wisest man who ever lived. People would come from afar to hear the wisdom of Solomon, but it's not just the Proverbs of Solomon. Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, they were royal the king of Israel was speaking these things, and he was the son of David. He was the son of David, which when he wrote those down might not have meant a lot other than his father was king, but then 300 years later, Isaiah would tell us, and we could look back and see the son of David was the Messiah. These are Proverbs that give us wisdom from God. They're wisdom from God. They offer the sort of wisdom that a community could embrace and live in together in harmony and in beauty and in flourishing under the rule and reign and very wisdom of God. So that's the book we're in. We're in the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Verse 2 says that these are to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. And as, as poets often do, verse 2 is written and then 3 and 4, verses 3 and 4 kind of kind of flesh out that first part of that, to know wisdom and instruction. And then verses, or verse 6 helps you to understand insight. See, this wisdom and instruction, it's the idea of living skillfully. Same word as those who would skillfully make garments or craftsmen in Exodus, same words as those who would skillfully judge in kings or those who were skillful at sailing in, in Ezekiel or skillful at battle in Isaiah. These Proverbs give us skill or wisdom for life. They give us skill or wisdom for life. So we're to receive instruction in wise dealing so that we can deal wisely in righteousness, justice, and equity, that we can walk in God's ways as we deal with others, to give prudence or shrewdness to the simple, so that you can grow in wisdom, knowledge, and discretion to the youth. And then verse 6, to understand a proverb and saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, so that you can understand these sayings and know how to take action. That's why these proverbs are written. And then verse 5 kind of goes backwards, and it reminds us of something. It reminds us of something. See, verses 3 and 4 say we want to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. And I want to say we need discretion. We need discretion. We live in a world where there is not a lot of discretion. My favorite verse as a teenager was about discretion. And it said, it's Proverbs eleven twenty two, like a ring of gold in a pig's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. I just love that verse. I may have not always used it in righteous ways as a teenager. But here's what it says. It doesn't matter how pretty you are, if you lack discretion, you're like a ring of gold in a pig's snout. You can be a beautiful woman, but you get it. A ring of gold, as pretty as it might be, if it's in a pig's nose, that's just ugly. You can be as beautiful as Tim Cartwright and Dave Tate put together, which would make a beautiful bearded woman, right? <laughs> but if you lack discretion... You're like a ring of gold in a pig snout. It's to give discretion and then to understand these sayings of the wise and their riddles. So in verse 5, Solomon says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. This is not just for people who are not wise, but if you're walking in wisdom, grow in wisdom so that you can understand and obtain guidance because we need wisdom. We need wisdom. Well, why look at wisdom for 16 weeks? I think Ray Ortland 
who's a pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, in his commentary on Proverbs, I think he gives a good answer. We talked about it in staff meeting this Wednesday. He says, what if we have many advantages in our lives, but not wisdom? If we have love, but not wisdom, we will harm people with the best of intentions. If we have courage, but not wisdom, we will blunder boldly. And then he says, if we have truth, but not wisdom, we will make the gospel ugly to other people. If we wield truth in the wrong way, if we come to culture with a message of the gospel, but do so in a posture of anger or fear, we'll make the gospel look ugly to other people. As we talked about this, Shannon Sword, our college pastor, said this. I thought it was brilliant. He says that fearful posture toward the world will render you unskillful as an ambassador of Christ. See, we're serving the risen king, bringing good news to the world, needs, desires. It's good that Jesus reigns. Life is good under his rule. But if we're fearful toward the world, and we are a fearful people, sometimes it will render us unskillful as an ambassador for Christ. Ortland goes on, he says, if we have technology but not wisdom, we'll use the best communications ever invented to broadcast stupidity. If we have revival but not wisdom, we'll use the power of God to throw the church into reverse gear. And then listen to this. Wisdom knows how to spread the gospel with no embarrassing regrets. Don't you want to do that? Wisdom knows how to share the gospel or spread the gospel with no embarrassing regrets. Wisdom is God's grace manifested in our lives so that they're beautiful reflection of God's ways to the world. So we want to do this. We want to carry out our role, our vocation as a surrendered community on mission with wisdom. Do it with wisdom. That's, that's why we want to know how do we get to wisdom? How do we get to wisdom? Where does wisdom begin? Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And you might say, but the theme, the beginning of wisdom for 16 weeks, isn't that kind of the ABCs and, and we'll move on from that? But the, the reality is you never actually move on from the ABCs. You can, you can be in pre-K learning them and you need the ABCs, but if you say, I want to read Dickens, I want to read Dostoevsky, guess what? You still got to have the ABCs, right? No words there. It's a foundation for all of wisdom and it's the fear of the Lord and without it... Without it, we will never, ever walk in wisdom. See, we talk about fear in all kinds of ways, but we rarely talk about the fear of the Lord in our culture. We naturally hate the idea, and we don't talk about it much at all, but the Bible does. So we don't want to soft sell it. We want to talk about it. We want to talk about it. Fear and greed are what move the market. Fear and the purveyors of it end up getting us hooked on social media or on cable news or on the next great disaster that may or may not be coming, fear of other, fear of disease, fear of death, fear of failure. Students, maybe you don't have fear of finals, but maybe you do. Some of you have been playing ultimate frisbee all semester, and you might need to be afraid right now, right? See, the greatest fear we talk about is FOMO, fear of missing out, but far be it that we would ever need to fear God because the mantra of the day tends to be, I am enough or you are enough. You're enough. And I want to tell you, if you're embracing this idea, I'm enough, I'm enough, or if you're telling people you're enough, 
The scripture would say that's foolish. If we were enough, there'd be no reason for Jesus to come and die. No reason for him to live in active obedience that we couldn't live in, tempted in every way, yet without sin, die on the cross, taking the wrath of God full bore on our behalf and raised from the dead to give us new life and claim victory for God in the world. But he did because we're not enough. When I hear somebody say you're enough, what I think of is this guy right here. Now, many of you are too young to remember him, but he was a character. His name was Stuart Smalley 20, 25 years ago. Stuart Smalley would look in the mirror and give himself life advice. And he would say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. When I see you're enough, what I think is, oh, that's Stuart Smalley. And the pendulum swings back and forth, but what I would say is that 20 years ago, the world knew the foolishness of that idea. The world knew the foolishness of that idea. See, without the fear of the Lord and a healthy understanding of it, we'll never truly walk in wisdom. Without the fear of the Lord, we'll never truly walk in wisdom, but we don't want to walk in the fear of the Lord because it interrupts our agendas and it presses on our pride. It interrupts our agendas and it presses on our pride. There's a guy named Bobby Pruitt who has led a couple of, or he's led a men's conference for TBC. He's done a college retreat or two for Shannon. And he has a thing that he has said a lot. I've heard Shannon say it a lot. And it's this, it's that people believe what they want to believe so they can do what they want to do. That's right. People believe what they want to believe so they can do what they want to do. We don't want to think about the fear of the Lord or the consequences of not walking in the fear of the Lord because it might impact what we're doing. And we believe what we want to believe. I don't need to fear God. Why would I need to fear God? Because it might keep us from doing what we want to do. But the fear of the Lord is over and over in Scripture. If you Google fear of the Lord, it'll pop up many, many times. And then fear the Lord, it comes up more and more and more. So let's look just at a few verses that speak about the positive beauty of walking in the fear of the Lord. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 3, 7, why? In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have refuge. That sounds like a great thing. I want my children to have refuge and I'm confident that they will. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Next verse, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. It's this protective thing. It's this life-giving, beautiful, wonderful thing when we walk in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 23, 17, and we'll come back to this one in a minute. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. And you might see that and go, yeah, Chase, that's that's Old Testament, but does the New Testament say anything about the fear of the Lord? I really appreciate you asking that. It does. So in Acts 9, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. See, when the church in the first century, and I think it's true when the church in the 21st century walks in the fear of the Lord, the church multiplies, it grows, people are added to our number. Paul said, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade Man, see, the fear of the Lord is really, really important, and it's a little bit odd sometimes when it's placed because it's not the natural thing that someone might say. Proverbs 23, 17, let not your heart envy sinners. Well, the opposite of that would be, hey, envy people who are doing really, really well with Jesus. Look to them. Let not your heart envy sinners. 
but really love righteousness. But the very thing he says, don't envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord. Continue in the fear of the Lord. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Well, wouldn't Paul say that the love of God would move us to persuade others? Well, yes, he actually does. Three verses later, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all died. So it's not, do I walk in the fear of God or do I walk in the love of God? We know the fear of the Lord, so we try to persuade others, and we know the love of God, so we try to persuade others. Romans 3, Paul is laying out, quoting a psalm, what the unrighteous world looks like. And he says, they're swift to shed blood. Their throats are an open grave. They're wicked. And he says, there's no fear of God before their eyes. You would think he'd say they don't love God, but he says there's no fear of God before their eyes. The fear of the Lord is a really, really big deal See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, they despise wisdom and instruction. What's the wisdom and instruction fools despise? I think first and foremost, it's the word of God. The wisdom and instruction fools despise is the word of God. But then second, I really believe that that the word of God was given to community. We know it was given to community. It's lived out in the midst of community. We're told to teach and admonish one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. The word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. We speak it to one another. Sometimes it's the wisdom and instruction of godly people who love us in the context of community. And I, I see this sometimes with parents, and I want to speak to it a little bit. There are three things you cannot do to parents. And number one, you cannot tell them that their baby looks funny. That's number one. You're walking up to a kid in the hospital. They've had a new baby, and you go up, and you go, so you're Irish, and your, your spouse is Italian. Oh, my gosh. Do, you, do y'all have pug in your family? You can't, you can't say that. You can't say that. Here's the dead giveaway for me. If I say your baby's cute, it's cute. If I say it's beautiful, it's beautiful. If I, if I go, oh, how precious. Laura knows. That's a... That's a ugly. She tells, no, you can't say that. No babies are ugly. Well, mine weren't, but I mean, some, some kids are funny looking, but you can't say that, right? Can't, tell, can't talk about schooling, whatever schooling somebody's doing, whichever way they do it, you can't talk about that. And then the third thing, if something happens and somebody goes, what, did we, are we doing this right? You can't say, no, I really don't think you are. You, you, can, you might as well tell a lady her dress looks ugly, right? Does this look okay on me? Yes, Absolutely. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't say, no, I think you're, you might be getting this wrong. And that's odd to me, and I want to say why that's odd to me. I got five kids, and my goodness, I need all the help in the world. And I look in this room at men and women who've gone before me. They've raised their kids. They've got some that are married, some that are about to get married. And they've done an amazing job, and I think, man, I want help from these people. If, if they come to me and they say, yeah, I think this might ought to look different in y'all's lives, I want to hear that. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we want to walk in the fear of the Lord. We've got that, but how do we do that? What is the fear of the Lord? Is it simply awe and reverence, or does it involve what we actually understand as fear? Or could it in some sense have to do with both of these. Is it awe and reverence? 
Or is it actual fear sometimes, or is it a combination of both? And as we talked about this in staff, David Richardson, our small groups pastor, said this. I thought this was great, that whatever you land on, we know that fear is an emotional response that excludes indifference. Whether it's awe and reverence, or whether it's, though I'm actually afraid, it's an emotional response that excludes indifference. So as you hear the Word of God, as you see God's people at work in the world, as you understand what the gospel is, if you're indifferent, you know you're not walking in the fear of the Lord. You're not walking in the fear of the Lord. And we need to walk in the fear of the Lord because of who He is. Because of who He is. C.S. Lewis reminded us, before most of us were born, of the fear of the Lord. And when he did, he spoke about the character and nature of God. He says, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. So let that sink in. If you're a great athlete, you're strong. He's immeasurably stronger than you. If you're smart, he's immeasurably smarter than you. If you're wise, he's immeasurably wiser than you. If you're rich, he's immeasurably richer than you. He's far superior to us in every way unless you know God is that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison as Isaiah says the nations are a drop in the bucket you do not know God at all as long as you're proud you can't know God a proud man is always looking down on things and on people and of course as long as you're looking down you can't see something that is above you Well, this presses on our pride. We don't like it because it's hard to hear. But do we not like it because we think it's unbiblical? Or do we not like it because we do not like to press into hard places in Scripture that press on our frailty, on the finiteness of our knowledge, and even our very being? Even our very being. Right, Chase, but it cannot mean fear in that sense, actually. It can't really mean afraid. I just don't think it can. See, when we think of experience with God, and what's described usually as experience with God is an aha moment. I had just this great moment. It was an aha moment. But in the Scripture sometimes when people experience God, it's not an aha moment. It's an uh uh-oh moment. So that's what happened to Isaiah. Isaiah says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, this national hero... I saw the Lord seated on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe was filling the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. As these angels cried out, and Isaiah, in seeing this vision of God, his experience with God, led him to say, woe is me, for I am lost, I'm undone, I'm ruined, your translation might say. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. When when Laura and I were dating, there was something I did with some friends that she did not like. I used to go in southeast Texas in the bayous and catch alligators with these guys. We didn't, we didn't kill them or hunt them. We didn't have guns. We actually caught them. And so for some reason, she didn't like that I did that, so I stopped, right? So Laura and I got married. I hadn't hunted alligators literally in many months, maybe a year. And then we had an event at our church. It was in July of the next year. Laura 
was great with our first child, about eight months pregnant, and I had a speaker in who really wanted to go catch an alligator. Man, can you take me to catch an alligator? And so I told Laura, I'll be really careful. We'll take him out. We'll do this. You catch him at night. And so the event's over at about nine o'clock, and we go to this bayou, and we go out, and, and this guy's this big guy, strong guy, but it was just so lame. He was afraid. He was just scared to grab him. So we spend about two and a half hours, and he just won't catch an alligator. And so we start heading back home, and there was a cut in the bayou that we just kept not going far enough. And in my defense, I kept telling him, you got to go further, you got to go further. So we go back out, come back in, go back out, come back in. Finally, at about 1.45, they go far enough, we see the boat ramp. And my, my sweet little Laura's at home, right? Eight months pregnant, doesn't like me catching alligators. And I, I come in at about 2.30 that morning thinking she'll be asleep, and I hear her awake, and I think, well, she'll just be glad to know I made it home safe. That was not exactly the case, right? And we had some interaction that night. And at the end of it, I said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I catch alligators with people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the queen, the Laura. See, she loved me. She still does love me. But I needed to walk in the fear of the Laura that night, right? See, Isaiah has an uh-oh moment. He has an uh-oh moment, right? But that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Jesus says to people, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, to fear him. We know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have eternal life. But 20 verses later, John says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. However, however, he who does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Present tense, continuing action. So please, friends, hear this warning. If you're here and you don't believe, the Bible says that the wrath of God is on you right now. And you can't just turn on a light and go, I'll believe whenever I want. You can't checkmate God. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Walk in the fear of the Lord for Jesus' own disciples when they were beginning to follow him. There's a day when Jesus sees them in the morning. They've been fishing all night and they haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, hey, put out your nets on the other side. And Peter says, we fished all night and haven't caught anything, but at your bidding, we'll do this. And they put out the nets, and when they do, they start pulling fish in, and there's so many fish, the nets are about to break. They can't get it in the boat. And here's what Peter says to Jesus. He says, depart from me, O Lord, for I'm a sinful man. See, there are some moments when people encounter God that it's easy to forget, and these are uh-oh moments. But there's something beautiful about these passages. At this very moment, and hear me, it is a necessary moment. At this very moment when we're given the gift of recognizing our own sinfulness and separation from God and his people. And when we recognize God and his holiness, unimpeachable purity, his righteousness, his preeminence. This understanding that we are hopeless and helpless without Christ, deserving of whatever may come. It's at this moment that we hear, do not be afraid. See, Isaiah 6, 5, Isaiah says, woe is me. 
Isaiah 6, 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Your sin is atoned for. John 3.36, if anyone does not obey the Son, the wrath of God remains on him. But listen, John 3.17, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, that God sent his Son so that his wrath could be removed from you and me and that we could have life in his family among his people as his children. Yes, we call him Father. It's just a matter of not forgetting who our Father is. See, Peter says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus, as James and John were there with him, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Don't be afraid. You see those fish you caught? Now you're going to catch men. See, it's at that moment that we understand the fear of the Lord, that we experience the love of God. See, walking in the fear of the Lord, as we sometimes describe it at at Temple Bible Church, surrendering to Jesus, whether for the first time or daily, walking, it's walking within a community of image bearers who under the rule and reign and wisdom of God are loving one another and living on mission together. Surrender or the fear of the Lord leads to welcome into a community on mission, and it is a blessed way to live. The psalmist in Psalm 67, he starts the psalm by saying, Lord, bless us and make your face shine upon us, and he ends the psalm by saying, so that the ends of the earth may fear you. See, we walk in the fear of the Lord so others will know the blessing of the fear of the Lord, and indeed, it is the blessing. It's the beginning. It's the foundation. We're going to stand on this foundation over and over throughout the summer because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We don't want to despise wisdom and instruction. We want to walk in the fear of the Lord. There's a children's book, an old one, called The Wind and the Willows, and The Wind and the Willows tells a story of five animal characters, otter and rat and mole and toad and badger. In chapter 7, otter's son is lost and mole and rat go looking for his son. And when they find him, they find his son in the care of the God character of the book. His name is Pan. And when they see Pan, they are mesmerized by his beauty and instantly in love with him. They've never seen such a being and they're amazed by him. They can't even speak. And Mole finally gets up the courage to whisper to Rat, are you afraid? And Rat, he's staring, he's in awe. He says, of him? Never, never. And yet, yes, I'm afraid. See, there's this paradox. There's this paradox that we call one Father who gives and takes away. We call one Father who made the world and everything in it, who sustains our life and our breath and everything else. And it's glorious and beautiful that we get to call Him Father, but we don't want to ever forget who our Father is. Let's pray. God, we do not want to be fools who despise wisdom and instruction, but we want to live in the fear of the Lord. So God, help our hearts not to envy sinners. Let us 
walk in the fear of the Lord all the day, God, because we know that in the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence, and in the fear of the Lord, our children can find refuge. We know that the fear of the Lord, it's a fountain of life that frees us from the snares of death, and we know that the fear of the Lord, when the church walks in it, the church multiplies, it grows. It's the beginning of wisdom, God, and we need wisdom in a world so tragically broken, God. We need the sort of wisdom that we could collectively walk in together so that, that the world could see this people that speaks in a way that they've never heard of a God that they do not know and lives this flourishing, beautiful, loving, serving, forgiving, kind, and caring life together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So help us to walk in the fear of the Lord that we might be a wise people who have answers for our own lives and for friends around us who need wisdom from above. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you're dismissed.